This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. Who created God? Who created God? Once in a while I get kids asking that question, who created God? And every once in a while I get an adult asking that question. For example, my friend in the front row who, who said, well, you know, we can work out that we were all created and everything you can look at came from, you know, the, the tree came from the seed and, and you came from the seed and we can go all the way back that way. So maybe, you know, who created God? And the answer to that is that that when you ask the very question of who created something requires there to be something. When we're talking about God, we're talking about nothing. But we're equally at the same time talking about everything. Thank you, James. We're equally at the same time talking about everything, but you're going way more Kabbalistic than I am right now. I'm building slow. Okay. For sure, the nothing's everything. But that's way, <laughs> that's way down this logic. Way down the logic. Now, meaning down that, it's going to be way further along. So, so God is not a thing. And this is, just on a practical level, this is why it's, a couple things are ridiculous. Like, for example, religions making a big deal about God. Religions being a, religions making a big deal about God is, is, you know, like, it's not a thing to be making a big deal out of. Does it make sense to have your gratitude towards it? Yes, for sure. But creating religions around it? For sure not. No, don't make a religion around, around God. Should you have your day organized around it? Yes, it's creating you, for sure. Organize your day, organize your life around it. It will be the central principle that will right your world as opposed to make it topsy-turvy. I mean, it is the, the one stable foundation of all reality is that is that this world's coming into existence via some kind of being and i use that name carefully being considering you have being and it's made of being but but your being's a little different than his being your being's made of consciousness and his being made your consciousness but, it, but you can't make consciousness which is really interesting that you all have something you can't make how did you get something you can't make? You ever thought about that? You have consciousness. I've never met even the biggest atheist in the world will admit that he's conscious. And yet no one can make consciousness. So how do you have something that can't be made? You know, bodies can be made. That we can trace. You know, we might have a little more trouble with the very first body in the world. But, but bodies, bodies we can make. You know what I realized? I think with my live feed, and now that I'm mic'd up, is that I'm less conversational. Because, James, I totally want to interact with you, but then I'm realizing it's just going to be a pause on the audio. Let me see what I do. You know what we'll do? Anyone who has anything to say will raise your hand. That way I know we're, I'll get to the right spot, and then I'll repeat even what you say into the microphone so they, so they know what we're saying. But I'm, I'm going back to... Let's get back on track here. Um, also, I'm having mercy on my editors because my media club pays, you know quite a bit to a guy who sits there and edits and uh, <laughs> this is all him editing right now so <laughs> I 
so it's not something you want to really necessarily get a religion around. And, and, and also, don't forget it's nothing. So, like, good luck forming a religion around nothing. So, you can't. So, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to make it into something. And now you're going to personify it. And now you're going to have to make up all kinds of stuff. Like, like you know, if you're really uncool, you'll make deals. And unfair deals, because the only way you get to find out whether you win or lose a deal is you have to die. You know, like afterlife. Put, let's add afterlife. I mean, think of how many, how many religions out there you think the very first class you go to, you have a class on afterlife. How much do you think they mention afterlife? And they'll probably mention a lot. A lot. And, it, and it, yeah, yeah they, you can't beat them on that one. But here, listen how unfair that is. You know how unfair that is? That's so unfair that you're playing on people's biggest fear. I mean, what is people's biggest fear besides public speaking? Death. Like, that's not fair. It'd be like going into a car dealer who says, like, yeah, buy the Volvo because our brake system's really great. And let me just tell you what would happen to you. And he's standing there with, like, his wife and kids. Let me just tell you what would happen to your wife and kids in a Nissan. Listen to the following scenario. You know, <laughs> you just be like, is there another salesman here selling Volvos? Because this guy's going for the jugular a little too quick. Meanwhile, you got people like, uh, I don't know how long you guys been around. Uh, how long you been learning Torah, Vinci? Vinci? Yeah, Torah. Your life. How many classes have you been to where there was an, even an hour dedicated to the afterlife? None. This guy's born and raised in the Torah community. No one's mentioned afterlife. Not because there ain't an afterlife. Not because there ain't. Sorry, not because there isn't an afterlife. It's because it'd be very presumptuous to start talking about it. <laughs> Who are you to talk about what, what you don't know? You know? And then to wield it as an, a giant anvil over the heads of, of lower IQ people, usually, who are scared to death of death, We have a joke in my house that, I don't know what happened, but someone, it's one of the kids said, like, you know, it was something, someone had done something wrong that, like, would make them in a lot of trouble in the next world. And I said, well, when you die, God's going to kill you. <laughs> anyway, people were scared to death of death. And, and the, um, just not fair. But that's not why we don't mention it. We don't mention it because it's not true. It's not true to start pontificating about stuff you don't know about. Certainly it's not nice to mention it to people who might be kind of adhering to the stuff you're talking about because, God forbid, you're right, and they die and get this thing they're going to get. You know. Anyway, we're talking about a being. When we talk God, we're talking about a being. Uh, do you mind, young man, just sliding a little? Because I realize that... You're right in front of this camera, and I feel like I'm missing you. How's that? Is that better? We're talking about a being that's not made of anything. It's not something. So it's not a discussion of it being created, because the only thing that can be created has to have previously not existed. And now it does exist, which means now that it does exist, it, it has existence vis-a-vis -vis its non-existence. And therefore, it's got an edge, and it's got a beginning, well, things that have a beginning generally, you know, take up time and space. 
The second you say it began, it's got to take up some kind of time and space as an entity. This is not a thing that takes up time and space. It's not an entity, and therefore it was never created, nor is it made up of anything. And also, it doesn't exist in a realm somewhere. Because wherever this, wherever this ulti, capital B being is, wherever this capital uh, C consciousness is, that apparently has the ability to make consciousness, wherever it is, is not a place at all. It's not in space and time. It's not, it doesn't inhabit a place, and it itself is not something. Which reminds me of the five-second proof of God which is that before... Well, I'll ask you guys first. Um, what does nothing make? If you have absolutely nothing, like here's a cap with nothing in it, okay? A bottle cap, nothing in it. Now, if I sealed it off and somehow sucked the air out of it and vacuumed it and now put it away for a thousand years, what would be in it after a thousand years? Everyone can say the word nothing, please, just to wake up. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Still miss the, the seminary girls. One, two, three. Nothing. We would have nothing in it if we could really get everything out of it. I mean, I, I guess there would be air, but let's say we suck the air out of it. I don't, nothing. Now, the reason that is, is because what does nothing make? You can say the word again. One, two, three. Nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. Does time help? Time doesn't help nothing. All the time in the world will not help nothing. Nothing stays nothing. That's just the nature of nothing. Now, before there was something, what was there? Nothing. nothing. And this isn't like just the rabbi talking here. I mean, there, every university has a, has not every university, almost all universities, certainly the big ones, they all have a department called theoretical physics. Why? Because, well, it's a little hard to deal with the fact that we came from nothing. That's kind of a rough fact that we come from nothing. So, because we know this world emerged and it emerges, it's an expanding universe. It's a space time continuum, which means it's continuing from nothing. So, it started from nothing. That is a fact. Everyone holds that way, that it started from nothing. We're in agreement with that. So, the universities have a department for that very fact. Now, you would think, like, what's that? Wasn't it just everything in a small space equal Okay, but then you, then you, well, what, you and I grew up around the same time, so they taught us Big Bang Theory. But did you notice that none of the kids in class said, where did that small thing come from? No, no kid asked that, and the teacher's happy no kid asked that. Who made the small thing? Now, another question is, let's just say the, the teacher says, the small thing was just there. Which is not an answer, but let's just say they said the small thing was just there. So there was nothing and a small thing. And it's like, thanks for nothing. But thanks for nothing. But they, but, so you have nothing and a small thing. You still need a big banger. Who's the big banger? Right? So you get that? If there was really nothing in the small thing, well, then it would stay nothing in the small thing. Not a, not a universe. Not you on your way to the you know, to Starbucks. You know, small things don't become you on the way to Starbucks. Yeah, you're not in there. Okay? <laughs> but here you are. You know, wow, here we are. 
Anyway, when's, what's that? Ben Sion? I think you're going on James before you walked in. What do you, the concept of nothing is something. Oh, yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing has, by the way, uh, Ben Sion's saying something interesting, that there is a concept of nothing, and that's what's in this cap. But then there's a whole different definition of nothing, which is the absolute lack of thingness. <laughs> there are two very different definitions. You understand there's two definitions. There's nothing, meaning there's nothing in the cap. That's one definition of nothing. That's a dictionary definition. But then there's a whole other dictionary definition that is a totally different definition. The total lack of thing. Our minds can't even think about that. Did you know that? That's an amazing thing. Your mind can't conceive of... We can conceive of the concept of a lack of thing, but the lack of thing we can't conceive of. The actual lack of thing. Which is very interesting that that's locked off to us. That's pretty interesting. Meaning our minds are always going to be couched in thingness. Our minds are couched in space and time. We have been locked off from whatever nothing is. And we're all locked off, meaning that's even for the psychonauts, you know, and, the, uh, and even the, the prophets. Like, they didn't get nothing. I, I, Moses himself, like, no prophet touched Moses. Moses himself asked for a little view of the nothing. And God said, no man can see me and live. That was the answer. No man can see me and live. Which is a strange answer. What does that mean? Is it like, if I tell you, i got to kill you? What does he mean? Right? Like, what does that mean? No man can see me live. What he's saying there, I'm just going to share with you the Kabbalistic explanation is, is that if you saw, you, the only reason you exist is because I've removed me from you. I'm going to say that again. The only reason you exist is because I've removed some of me, so to speak, because you're also him. Or it. Right now, we're definitely on it, not him. So, because I remove some of myself, so to speak, there's a you. So, if you're asking to see the true nothingness that I am, well, you would have to not exist. So, no man can see me and live. You You get the translation of that now? pretty interesting to understand that that you know because i i get kids in this class maybe this young lady with a question i get kids in this class who are like yeah god like i do your will if you just kind of make yourself a little more clear and but from a kabbalistic perspective it's like i don't think you want god being a little more clear (laughs) god being a little more clear would be a heavy loss of autonomy and i don't think anyone wants to lose that you want to lose your autonomy? You want to lose your sense of self? You know, that's high-level stuff, losing sense of self. You've got to be pretty heavy-duty to lose the sense of self. So, it's funny, all the people who are like, they're waiting for God's message. You know, it's like, I don't think, he, I, I think God's sending plenty of messages through your day-to-day life. Where you struggle is probably one of the strongest messages. Where you suffer is even stronger. Your interpersonal relationships is super strong messages coming all the time. You're getting a ton of feedback. All of this anyway is a digital simulation. So your family members that you most have to work things out with are just God sending you your messages for this particular lifetime. If you're Jewish, it's a little more complicated because we've got a couple more jobs. Yes. What? What is a person? What is the sense of self? Everything is God. Yeah. So what's not? What's not God? Yeah. Nothing's not God. 
person is is just a, a, a temple physically and a temple that houses a soul, which is your closestly related to your consciousness. You're just pure consciousness with a bunch of molecules bumping into each other. It's part of God. It's just part of God. But yours is wrapped up, no offense, in female. What number kid are you? Third kid, me too. And that's a certain story comes with being three. It's a nice story usually if there are more kids after us. Yeah. And uh, it's a nice story to be the third kid because the first kid, the parents think, oh, we finally have a kid. Now we're going to teach it everything we ever wanted to teach. And then, of course, it doesn't work out at all. So they have a second kid and they say, well, well I guess we'll try the opposite. Third kid, they actually give up and start parenting the child itself. Yeah. <laughs> so you actually get parented kids by the time you're at the third kid, which is why I believe, which is why I believe that God, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Meaning he didn't say use birth control and have two. He said be fruitful, multiply. Why? Because the first two children of every family are pure experiments. They're pure experiments. And you can't populate humanity with experiments. Otherwise you wind up things with like nihilistic, atheist, left-wing, you know, identity politics people pushing their, their stuff on everybody. You know, you can't have, you can't have the world populated by experiments. My first two kids are like, they're like, okay, you know, they're there, you know. But then there's like six other well-parented children, you know. That's going to be the population, not these first two wingnuts, you know. No offense if you're, no offense if you're like the firstborn or the secondborn. Israel's even worse because, meaning secular Israel's even worse because they populate the, the country with experiments and... They populate the country, meaning the secular Israelis, who get married. I mean, a lot of them don't get married. And, but those who marry populate the world with experiments. And if one of those experiments is a woman, a girl, she go, she's on the battlefield. You know, she's seeing stupid stuff that, that you want as few people in the world seeing if they're going to be raising a generation of people. It's really important to protect the, the protectors of children. You want to protect the protectors of the children. So that you have a sane generation. You know, you've got to have a sane generation growing up in every society. Generally, societies only used women when it was, when it was do or die. Meaning, if we're going to lose it all, so they're part of this battle. If we're not going to lose it all, protect the protectors of the next generation. You know, we've got to have someone who hasn't seen the stuff you see there. And, and so we got, I mean, it's like a double whammy in Israel who's raising these kids, you know, not to mention the media's absolute repudiation of prophecy. You know, our, we have a, a government and a media that, that repudiates prophecy. And so you have this like large population who live only according to prophecy. Like our lives are just prophecy, you know, like tzitzis, prophecy, Shabbat, prophecy, kosher, prophecy. Like, everything we do is because of prophecy. Why are we in this land? Why didn't we go to Uganda or something? Prophecy. This is the land of our heritage. What heritage? The heritage of the prophets that taught us how to live our lives. And so we are just walking prophetic people. We don't necessarily have personal prophecy. 
but our lives are completely aligned and arranged around. It's totally organized around prophecy. While the ruling of the, the rulers of the media and the rulers of the government and the rulers of the law, the Supreme Court, the Israeli Supreme Court, <laughs> I think only two judges, according to Jewish law, would even be kosher to give testimony that they saw a fender bender on their way to work. Judges who are in charge of the actual laws of our country. I think there's only two judges on the Supreme Court who would be kosher testimony to say they saw a fender bender on their way to work. Meaning, according to our traditions, our ancestry, our pride of being the children of this prophetic, you know, inheritance, is like, there's rules of what it takes to be a judge. You can't just get up there. And do you know what it took to be a judge? You know, you had to know Torah inside and out. You had to be of, of, of the highest caliber uh, publicly and privately in someone who keeps that, the, that Torah. You had to know, you had to be married, you had to have kids, you had to have all the language, you had to be male, you had to be, you had to know all the languages of every uh, nation on earth. You could not become a judge until you knew all 70 languages because you're not allowed to try anyone in translation. You have to know the mother tongue of those people. You, and this was a court of 71 elders. It had to be an odd number. 71 elders. And, and you, also had, you, also, you didn't have to know this, but they also knew languages of birds. You know, like the Amazon people know all that stuff. You had to know all that stuff. You had to know languages of birds. You also had to know all witchcraft. Oh, other animals as well. We have a whole book of the languages called Perak Shira. talks about the main phrases that animals are saying deep down when they make their sounds. And... Um, great Kabbalistic work called Perak Shira. And you also had to know, um, you had to know all the dark side. You had to know all black magic, all witchcraft, all idolatry, but inside and out, because you can't try the case if you don't know it inside and out. And then you, and then where'd you get to sit? You sat on the Temple Mount. If you look out that window, you'll see the Al-Aqsa Mosque, where on Fridays, 80,000 Muslims put their rear ends up to the Holy of Holies. Yeah, because Jerusalem's one of their holy sites, even though it doesn't say that anywhere in any of their books. But apparently Jerusalem suddenly hit one of their top holy sites in some kind of revisionist history of, you know, basically anti-Zionism. And 80,000 Arabs every Friday put their behinds up to the Holy of Holies right in that corner. Well, that mosque was actually a giant round building on the Temple Mount where those 71 elders sat. So, does that sound like separation of church and state? Not really. No. And why? You want to close that window? And why? Why don't we separate church and state? Hey, that sounds so un-American. Not separating church and state? Of course we don't separate church and state because... We're talking about laws. Well, what are laws? Well, laws have to do with values. Laws have to do with moral choices that human beings make and judges adjudicate. Human beings make moral decisions and courts make, courts have to deal with that and give adjudication on the moral choices of humanity. Well, where does morality come from? Where does that come from? And the answer is that it comes from the fact that the Torah teaches us that, first of all, human beings are created beings. They're created. And they're created in the image of God, which gives you rights. 
Now, of course, it didn't close. Or some other windows open, maybe. Try again. Check the lock. Just check it. See if it locked. So just pull it. See if it locked. No, it didn't lock. Yeah. There you go. I'm, I'm rewinding a little bit, especially for my poor editors. They're not poor. They're beautiful. It's just, I hate giving them more work. While I'm talking about that, please join the media club. YomTovMediaClub.com. YomTovMediaClub.com. Pays for equipment, editing, and social work, social media work. So please join that. It's worth even, it's, it's all set and forget. It's like 10 bucks, set and forget. That's it. I'm looking for a thousand set and forgets and we're done. 10 bucks. So, so I'd appreciate that support. And it also gives me a special feeling in my heart to keep pumping this out. Now, <laughs> we don't separate church and state because state is the laws, meaning that's, that's, that's the rules. And rules are morality. And morality is choices of wrong and right. Well, where did that come from? And the answer is it came from the fact that we are created in the image of God. Well, if you're created in the image of God, that, well, that gives you certain rights that should be protected. Now, the truth is that even if you were an atheist, you would still want your rights protected, for sure. You'd still want your rights protected, but but if you it wouldn't stand up philosophically, because you're just a bunch of molecules bumping into each other. And so, since just because his molecules like just like destroyed your front lawn, you know when his when his uh, his bulldozer went out of control, you know his molecules destroyed your front molecules, and you know like you'd have a hard time as an atheist explaining why he owes you anything. But, uh, but I think we all, like, deep down feel like, hey, you know, you ruined your front lawn. So, like, you know, he should pay for your front lawn. But, uh, but we, when you go down the rabbit hole, it really come, boils down to the fact that, no, actually, this person's a godly person with rights to his front lawn because there's godliness here in all people. And not only in all people, but in animals and in everything because it's all part of the creation. And therefore tread lightly here and 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 organize your moral perceptions around that and then you there are consequences and and you need courts to protect people to meaning to protect people's rights and and here's the funniest thing is you all take courts so for granted like right you guys grew up thinking that you know someone steps on you hard enough you get to take them to court but uh anyone here uh, want to tell me how long courts have been around where you could actually take someone to court? How long have, has a renter had the rights to take their landlord to court? How long, did you know right, landlords uh, over a hundred years, a little over a hundred years ago could put you in jail indefinitely for, for not paying rent? They were called debtor's prisons. There was no court. And not only that, but there were no courts for anything else for that matter. Courts are kind of a, the new kid on the block. And everyone just would loves to vilify the Jews and, and uh, you know, they love to vilify the Jews who were the actual or originators of, the, of any legal system. And we are that legal system. And uh, you want to know, I was at a swearing of a, of a lawyer in, um, in Los Angeles. 
And I went in for, he invited me, he wanted his rabbi at the swearing. So I go in and I sit down there and the, and the judge there in Beverly Hills Court, Judge Fox, I think his name was, he says, so you brought your rabbi. I said, well, I'm also a lawyer. He says, oh, wow, rabbi and a lawyer. And I'm like, well, what do you think I do all day? He's like, what do you do all day? I said, well, I study the Talmud. And where do you think you got it? And he looks at me and he says, touche, you're a lawyer. And so, and so that's where they got it. The, the, the laws of, of the courts, when you go to court, it's all Talmudic law. That's the precedence that they're going. Now, they have their own precedence laws because every time there's a new precedence, they have more law. But, but the whole foundation of all law is Talmudic law. When you go to any court anywhere, and you only could go to a court probably in the last 150 years, I think, maybe less. I'm giving it extra years, I think. Do you know the history of uh, Western countries having courts? Few hundred years. Yeah, who got to get that protection of the court? Right now, what do you think in Judaism? You think there's a, the access to court is uh, is limited? Any time in the last three thousand three hundred and thirty-one years? Full Sanhedrin was for specific stuff. Yeah. Then there was this. Then there was a court of thirty of. Uh, 31, and then a court of three, which is for, you know, simpler things. Yeah, based. Now, that was on the Temple Mount, because that's where it all stems from. Everything comes from there. Now, by the way, I'm not against the separation of church and state in places like the United States, for example, because, you know, who knows where that's going? Yeah, wrong church, perhaps. You know, you know who knows where that's going? So, yeah, that should be separated. But, um, but Israel itself, the land of Israel, having a separation of church and state? Nope. These are our ancestral lands. It is our ancestral heritage. You know, ima- imagine, the, the way I like to say it is like this. Imagine a Chinese group of judges are on a world tour to go check out the judicial systems of all the different countries. And they decided to save, because they knew our judicial system is the foundation of them all, they're saving Israel for last. And so the judges come to Israel, they're met at the airport with a bus and, you know, and some gifts. And they, of course, you've got to haul everyone off to Yad Vashem because, you know, that's why the state thinks we deserve to be here is because of anti-Semitism and we need a safe haven, which is like, slicha, you know, sorry, no, we actually are part of a long heritage of a prophetic people from this land. And we've also had contiguous, uh, contiguous presence here. The entire time, though it got very small at times, but it's always been here, and this has always been our homeland. We don't need Yad Vashem for that. Thank you very much. But the uh, anyway, but eventually they bring them to the, where they want to go, which was the Supreme Court. When they get to the Supreme Court, you see all the all the Chinese judges whispering, and they're clamoring, and they don't know what's the Jews don't know what's going on, and they're like they're whispering, they're like they're, they're pointing. And now they're going to the leader of all the judges who got them on the tour. And they're like, what's going on here? And then they, they whispering again and whispering again and saying, there's only two judges wearing yarmulkes. Anyway, finally, the Israelis realize 
there's something wrong here. They're not coming to sit down. So they go over and talk to the leader over there. And he's like, sorry, there's just like we're having a little mutiny here. Um, they're just wondering what's going on here. I mean, you break your own rules. Like, how could the Supreme Court judges be judges that can't sit on the, as a judge? And, and the, the, of course, the Israelis are like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, aren't, isn't this the land of Israel? I mean, they're pointing on the wall. There's probably like a menorah up there and like a, the, symbol of, the symbol of like Israel or something. This isn't Israel? And they're like, it is Israel, but we separate church and state here. And the Chinese would look at them and go, why? <laughs> you taught the whole world. You taught the entire world from your Torah about what's right and wrong. Like, all our courts are based on you. Anyway, they get them to sit down and they open up the law books and they find that, that most uh, interpersonal law in Israel is British and most uh, real estate law is Turkish, which is really backward. It's like plant three trees at your land. Sorry. That's not how it works in Torah. You can't just start planting trees and take over land. That's cute. Maybe it works well in Turkey, but it doesn't work well in our Torah. And, and then the, finally the Chinese are just looking at them like, like, you are a country with an identity crisis. Anyway, by the way, all of this discussion, you can just leave this discussion here because while we're sitting here this hour, it's the majority of births will be the people of the prophecy. And, and 30 years from now, this will be a non-discussion because the people living in the land of Israel 30 years from now will be from the prophecies. They will the people who live the prophecies. And, and it, please, God, the only thing you can pray for is that it's a gentle and congenial transition which would be very easy to do with a parliament because parliaments are based on uh, on constituency and so that should go smoothly because as the constituency builds you know but but I do have to say that the prophetic people you know since I'm ranting today the prophetic people are an, an, are an abject embarrassment that if you gave them if you gave them all the seats they would ever want, they would just rip them into a thousand pieces because they would not be able to dis- they would not be able to agree on anything, and, it would, and we'd we'd just we'd get nowhere with that. It would not be helpful if the observant Jews got their seats. They, all they would do is just create more parties and rip each other to shreds. So we I mean, we have had opportunity after opportunity, <laughs> election after election. Plenty of opportunity to actually show the Gentiles and the secular Israelis that we actually feel some things are more important than others. Like meaning, meaning there are some values as being the people of the prophecy that are more important than our divisive, petty, um, how do you say the minutia, the petty discrepancies, differences. We should all be completely banded together, choose 10 seats that we would offer, mix them up amongst the Yemenites and the Sephardim and the Ashkenazim and, 
you know, and tell everyone just shut up. Shut up. We have a chance to show the world that we actually can agree. What? I think it has to do with, it usually has to do with money. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's only so much of the pie of tax dollars. And uh, people are thinking about their constituents. And they want their slices in a way that would be, negate slices of others. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't know enough about politics, but I'm guessing that it's how you slice up the money. That's usually how things go. So, and why not agree on population? You know, just let whoever's got the biggest population will get a little bigger. Next population, a little less. Next one, a little less. And let's just make one party called the God Party. You know, why can't we have a God party here instead of a horrible humiliation every election? And it's embarrassing. I'm, I'm personally embarrassed. Every time we're near elections again and I'm hanging out with my secular friends, uh, my Israeli friends, I'm just like, and they look at me like, you guys can't get your acts together, man. Like, what is going on? I'm like, don't ask me, man. I'm a, I made Aliyah, you know, I don't know what's going on in Israeli politics. So, um, I forget what this class is even about. Oh, yeah, I remember. Who created God? Who created God? So, anyway, I was, let's just finish with that proof. The five-second proof of God. Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Okay, that's the five-second proof of God. Before there was something, there was? <laughs> I'd say it again quickly. Before there was something, there was nothing, and... Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Okay, before there was something, there was? And since? Makes. And now that there's something, it must be that the nothing was? God. Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Which is an incontrovertible proof of God. The university has departments for this. Like, they can't take it. Why can't they take it? Why do they build those departments? I mean, think about those departments. Like, what are they exactly expecting uh, theoretical physicists to discover? And with what instruments that measure things outside space and time? The only thing, instrument I've ever found that measures something outside space and time is a magic mushroom. Okay? There's, not, there's no instrument of measure that measures something outside space and time. So what are they supposed to be doing all day? And the answer is right in the name. Theoretical physics. Theorizing. So we'll just let them theorize. Why? Because we can't live with ourselves if, the noth- if there's really nothing. I mean, we all agree there's nothing. All the Kabbalists say for sure there's nothing. All the physicists say there's for sure nothing. But they can't live with that. And so they spend their time staring at their belly button, theorizing about what that nothing could be instead of nothing. Because it's just too hard to deal with that it could be God. God forbid it's God. Shalom, everyone. Um, I'm running my seminar this week. I have flyers here. And this is probably going to be the last possible view this week, this winter, in the, in, the, in the program. I've been running this. This is my 19th year. I have 9,000 graduates. People fly in from all over the world to do this seminar. It's, it's, and I'm only doing it twice in like the last half a year. And this is the week. It's Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Six, five hours a night, 6.30 to 11.30 each night. And it is a total psycho-thriller. We drill down the rabbit hole of what's called your default mode network. That's the part of your brain that basically has you constantly vigilant from any embarrassment or any failures or any this, that, or the other. But unfortunately, when it's so on task, 
it, it actually will, will numb the rest of your brain's network, which is where all the genius of a human being is and all their consciousness, which connects to God. So the possible you is going on. I'll hand out some flyers. This is a men's seminar. This, in Israel, I only do men's. I'll do women's the next month. Shalom, everyone. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.